Well, hello, church family. This is part two in our study of Exodus 22 and 23. Uh, On Monday, we talked about how Israel is supposed to abide by all of these different laws regarding people's properties, so things regarding animals and stealing and property, like actual material things. Uh, There's laws against that so that the people will not steal. Uh, the, and you know, I think there's this, there's it's it's something that's very telling about the human condition, and that God is actually making these rules, knowing that these are the things that people are willing to do. They are willing to steal. They're willing to take from other people, and yet God is saying that there needs to be a way for Israel to restore and reconcile the relationship. Uh, remember, I said that there was a recurring phrase that that there's will make restitution. Uh, that when there's conflict between two different people, that they are supposed to figure it out because that's how God's people are supposed to be. God is a God that forgives and He reconciled people, the nation of Israel to Himself, and the people are supposed to have that relationship to one another as well. Um, and we talked about how on Monday that uh, the Bible recognizes that there will, that you will have conflict with one another, um, and yet you need to learn how to love others regardless of what the conflict is. You have to learn to fix the relationship. And I think in this passage, uh, especially verse 21, 22, 23, chapter 21, 22, 23, each of these chapters are just explanations and examples on how you can apply the f- <coughs> uh, the sixth to tenth commandment, or no, no the fourth to the sixth commandment, the, the last six commandments. Uh, all of these are, are, relation- are laws pertaining to relationships with one another. Uh, so that was, those were the like property and you know, the material type laws that was uh, that was established uh, in verse one to fifteen. Now we're going to look at verse sixteen to chapter twenty three, verse nine. These are all social type laws, and by that I mean they're like relational type things, uh, uh, how uh, like a just society is supposed to look. And it first begins with a marital relationship, or a, you know, between uh, a male and female in, in the context of marriage. Verse sixteen. If a man seduces a virgin who is not engaged and, and lies with her, he must pay a dowry to her to be his wife. If her father absolutely refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money equal to the dowry of virgins. So what this means is that uh, there's a guy that um, uh, that you know, basically whatever seduces is the word here. Basically, it finds a way uh, to get uh, her to sleep with him. Uh, he has to pay the father dowry. Uh, the implication here in this passage is that, actually not even here, but in terms of the Israel culture, um, they, the way that they saw marriage is not the way that we think of in America. Like when we think Americans, when we have our weddings, it's often a vow and the ring, right? Those are those symbols and things that you do to show that you are married. Back then, uh, you give the dowry and uh, the way that you know that you are uh you're one with the person is if you, if you, uh, if you are intimate with the other person, and that's how uh, you know it's kind of like the Genesis principle that you are become you become one flesh, and that's what's going on here. If a guy seduces someone and doesn't marry her, then he needs to pay the dowry as if they were supposed to be married. Um, and the father here is saying like if if he doesn't, let's say like, in verse sixteen says like if if he, if they engage in sexual intercourse, and in verse seventeen, uh, the father doesn't want her his daughter to marry this person that he still has the, the guy that um, you know, slept with daughter still has to pay for a dowry uh, it is is to show 
that, uh, and again, this is this is not like okay, here's the law so the people can break it. This is a law so that people can uh, can can be pure to abstain from sexual sin so that um, they can honor the Lord in it. But if they fail, and this is kind of like a New Testament when there are all these divorce laws, it's not to say that God is for divorce. God hates divorce. But these are uh, uh, scriptures that are given so that when people fail to live up to God's standard, when they refuse to uh, abide by God's rule, that they will be protected. And paying for a dowry is, is an incentive for people not to uh, commit sexual sin. This is kind of like, uh, you know, we, in our modern day, like we have, you have to find someone hundreds of thousand dollars, they like, you know, wreck a car, or they break something. These are the same type of idea here. It's a law, not so that it gives permission, but it's a law to just show you and let the people know that they're um, that they need to protect the sacredness of marriage, and even guarding their bodies from sexual sin. So these are relational type laws, and we can going down. And we, as we continue to go down, you see there's all these type of societal laws. Verse 18: You shall not allow a sorcerer, sorceress, to live. Whoever lies with an animal uh, shall be put to death. Uh, he who sacrifices any god other than to the Lord alone shall be utterly destroyed. And you'll notice that. Uh, in 18 to 21, these are all different um, types of, of, of idol worship or, or things that really defies God's standard, right? Like verse 18 is like uh, is the occult type. These are people that uh, claim to have special unique powers or have unique uh, divin divination from the Lord, but yet they're not. These are people that oftentimes are, um, you know, basically adding to uh, God's standard of what how to worship uh, the supernatural being that is God. These sorcerers are, are, if they are caught in the land of Israel, they're so we put to death. We know as we, if you read through the Bible, that, that, that they will encounter sorcerers type people, people that speak to the dead or whatever, and uh, they're going to get, and they refuse to kill them. And that, and that pollutes the people of Israel because they start trusting in these sorcerers as opposed to going to the prophets or the priests for divine revelation. Verse 19, whoever lies with an animal shall surely put to death. It's the same thing with the purity laws. Like man is made for woman, as one man and one woman. Uh, in this case, there's some people that are having sex with animals, and that's bestiality, and that's a sin against the Lord. It's, a, it's uh, an attack, an assault on God's created order. Um, animals are supposed to be subservient to humans, and God and God gave order to man to have um, have a stewardship over these animals and not have some sort of intimate relationship with them. So when they cross that line, uh, they're, they're breaking God's standard of how he, how he wants the world to be, and they're supposed to be put to death. Verse 20 is about uh, polytheism, that they're not supposed to offer any sacrifice to any other God, but only to the, um, to the one and living God. And all three, three of them, it says that you shall not, you not allow them to live, you shall surely put them to death, and they shall be utterly destroyed. This is supposed to be purity of the land. It's supposed to show that God does not tolerate idolatry in any sense of the word. God's people must submit to him, and if they break God's law in any way, that there's, it's a hardening of the heart, and it's a judgment for the Lord. Uh, and it now see, in our modern day, that seems like, oh, so unjust. These are, these are just things that make them happy. But the Bible always, is always clear that happiness is only found in your holiness. And that's what God is trying to teach them, that if you want to find peace, you want my protection, you want my blessings, you need to submit to my words, and you need to wholly devote yourself to me and not to anything else. Verse 21 to uh, 27, these are all um, like laws pertaining to, to, to personal relationships. You shall see here. Uh, verse 21, you shall not wrong a stranger or oppress him, for 
you were a stranger in the land of Egypt. This comes up again in verse tw chapter 23, verse 9. Verse 22, you shall not afflict any widows or orphan. If, if you afflict him at all, if he does not cry out to me, I will surely hear his cry, and my anger will, not, will be kindled, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wife shall become widows and your children fatherless. So this is, again, showing that the people of Israel are not supposed to take advantage of those that are already um, taken advantage of. I mean, th these are people that are like, you know, the downcasted, the widows, the orphans, people that are vulnerable. And God's saying, God has a special and unique protection for those that are, uh, that are, that are strangers, that are already uh, in a lot of uh, difficult circumstances. And there are, and these are all rules so that the people that are, you know, in the covenant of God, that they might be wealthy, they might have more, they're not supposed to take advantage of those. And there's a sense in verse 24 where it said that, and my anger will be kindled, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wife shall be widows, and your children fatherless. So there's almost not a karma sense, but it's almost like putting them in a place that uh, where they will, the, where his family will now become the vulnerable one, and people need to go and take care of, the, you know, how it, you know, it's basically do unto others that you want to do to yourself, right? Do you want other people? How would you like it if your widow and your children uh you know you're dead and who how would you want your family to be taken care of and this is kind of god's standard like you don't you wouldn't want them to be taken advantage of so don't take advantage of those that are in need verse 25 if you lend money to my people to the poor among you you're not to act as a creditor to him you should not charge him interest if you ever take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge you are to return it to him before the sun sets verse 25 is um it's just about like the way when you borrow money from people, you don't want to make it so that it's impossible for them to, to get out of uh, debt. Um, uh, there's other laws uh, <coughs> down the line where like the year of Jubilee where everything is forgiven, everything resets. Um, so God tells the, uh, the people that all that they have, they're not supposed to use it to, uh, to oppress other people. Uh, and if they do, then there's a sin against him. Verse 26, it speaks about, you know, when you, have, when you promise that you give someone's cloak back. And, and the, again, in our modern day, it just seems weird. Like, who cares if you just leave a jacket behind? Uh, but it's a big deal because back then their cloak was like, you know, it's like their money, it's their identity, it's their clothing. Uh, it keeps them warm at night. Uh, so it's like, you know, very expensive clothing and, and it matters. And it could be, you know, for someone else's livelihood. And if they make a pledge to return it, they're supposed to keep their word. Verse 24, this is his only covering. It is his cloak for his body. What shall he sleep in? And it shall be, and it shall come about that when he cries out to me, I will hear him, for I am gracious. And God wants people in the camp to honor the covenants that they make, first to him and then to one another. And if they fail to do this, the second one, which is one another, it probably means that they fail to keep God's word. They're in relationship to one another. If you worship God, if you love him with all your heart, mind, and soul, you will love other people the way that you yourself would do, would as well. Verse 28, you shall not curse God, nor curse a ruler of your people. Now again, Israel did this a lot to Moses and to Aaron. And this is not supposed to be like, don't think Moses writing this as a way of preserving himself. This is God's way of saying that whenever you complain against anyone, anyone in ministry, uh, you're ultimately complaining against him. And that's what God is saying here. Like, when God's people are complaining against 
uh, Moses, they're really complaining against the Lord, right? And we see that early on when, when, they, when Israel has left Egypt, they kept complaining about, oh, did we come out here so that we could be killed? Or uh, was there not enough graves in Egypt that God has to bring us out here to die? They're ultimately not trusting God and are complaining to God. Verse 29, you shall not delay the offering from your harvest and your vintage. Uh, the firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. You shall do the same with your oxen and with your sheep. It shall be with its mother seven days. On the eighth you shall give it to me. Uh, you shall be holy men to me. Therefore you shall not eat any flesh torn to pieces in the field. You shall throw it to the dogs. Now these are all seemingly random laws, but they all seem to be involving either animals or firstborns. And this idea is that when you, when you offer uh, things to the Lord, it has to be its best. And when it's, see, when it's here, it says about the firstborn, it's not saying that you sacrifice the son, but that you devote him, that the first son, the firstborn is important. Uh, he's supposed to be the one that you care the family name and lead the family and everything. Uh, and you want to devote that. You know, in First Samuel, we see that with Hannah and, and a Samuel. There's this devotion that, like, okay, um, I want this kid to, uh, to, you know, for, to, to further the faith as well as the covenant relationship and they have a unique responsibility in the family to do so. So that's uh, verse 22. When we get to verse 23 here, these are all laws pertaining to, um, to, to like legal system, like things like right and wrong in terms of uh, witnesses and everything. So let's look. Verse 23, you shall not bear false report. Do not join your hand with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not follow the masses in doing evil, you shall, uh, nor shall you testify in a dis dispute so as to turn aside from a multitude in order to pervert justice, nor shall you be partial to the poor man in his dispute. So this is basically when you, when there's like a, a legal issue and they can't figure it out, um, or if there is a legal issue, uh, you're basically not supposed to pervert it. If there's someone that's, that is, that, is, that is innocent, you're not supposed to say, speak of some lie or spread some rumor or slander them so that they can be mistreated or, or that justice can swing the other way. They're supposed to uphold God's standard of right and wrong because God knows them. He knows what's right and wrong. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey's wandering away, you shall surely return to him. So again, this is just helping those that are in need. Verse 5, if you see donkey of, of one who hates you lying helpless under its load, you shall refrain from leaving it to him. You shall surely release it with him. Again, this is like, okay, if there's someone you don't like and, they're in help, and they need help, help them. Um, God's people are to be very gracious and generous people. As was said, verse 27, verse 22, that, he's, that God is gracious. Uh, that even if there's someone that you don't like you're, and they need help, what you do, what you're supposed to do is not to wish them well, uh, just wish them well, leave them, but you're supposed to actually act on it, to, ca to care for them. Verse 6, you shall not pervert the justice due to needy, to your needy brother in his dispute. Keep far from false charge and do not kill the innocent or the righteous, for I will not acquit the guilty. Again, this is an idea that if there's any a moral or legal thing, you cannot be corrupted by, uh, by your own personal interest. Even if it's a family member, uh, you need to do the right thing in the eyes of the Lord. Um, and I think in our day and age, this is a very, a very um, uh, unique, for, not really unique, but it's really a timing passage for us because we live in a time where people don't even care about right and wrong anymore. Like the, when they see something on the news, they assume one way or the other instead of actually letting the, uh, the evidence play itself out to make it a uh, conclusion. And this is like Proverbs 18, 
where it says that first person makes the case seems right until another uh, shows them, uh, you know, presents more of the evidence. And I think that's what's going on here. God wants the Israelites to be people that knows and upholds right and wrong. And as Christians, we see that this principle still applies to us. Um, whenever there is something that goes on, we should not jump on the first thing that we hear, but rather as Christians, we need to be discerning and know what's going on before we make a um, before we make a judgment call on whatever it is. And whatever and whatever the result may be, even whether we like it or not, if it's if that's the evidence and that's what is actually going on, that we need to act on it. Um, I know there's sometimes people that want to pervert justice because of a loved one. That's a corruption that God is against. Uh, that if, um, you need to uphold God's standard, even if it's someone that, that's close to you. V verse six: You shall not pervert the justice due to your need. Oh, I read that. Verse seven. Uh, sorry, verse eight: You shall not take a bribe for bribes blinds a clear-sighted and subjects subverts the cause of the just. You shall not oppress a stranger, since you yourself know the feeling of a stranger. For you also, you also were strangers in the land of Egypt. And that's why God doesn't want them to do it, because um, when you take a bribe, you, you, your moral compass uh, doesn't point north. And that's not what it's supposed to be. People are supposed to continue to uphold it regardless. Uh, in fact, that's why in modern day uh, judges and district attorneys are paid a tremendous amount not because their job is particularly hard, which is true, or that they need to, um, <coughs> you know, uh, you know, it's, it takes a lot of time, which is also true, but that they're supposed to get paid a lot so that they won't be corrupted, that they're, you know, that there aren't some mob bosses that say, I'll give you, a wire you X amount of money so that you can, um, you know, so you can let this person go. No, that's not the case. They're supposed to, they're being paid so that they won't even be tempted with money uh, what, uh, whatsoever. Because when, uh, because God here is instructing them that when they take a bribe, it blinds them from justice. It makes them unable to see clearly. And as Christians, we see that like how all of these laws that, that I just mentioned, these are all supposed to be horizontal relationships. That ultimately, the way that you live amongst one another needs to be grounded in God's word. God expected them uh, to live holy and distinct lives that's different from the world. And that's the same principle that we see in our life today, that we need to be distinct. We need to be holy, whether things are like the legal system or, or um, things pertaining to purity or with, with lending money. All of these things are, is an appropriate um, passage in Scripture for us to think through and principles that we can draw from so that we can live in a way that is unique. We are called to be a holy people, just like the Israelites. Although we're not <clears throat> in that old covenant the way that the Israelites are, we're both the common thread between them and us is that we're, we're called to be holy and distinct. And in our distinctness, in our uniqueness, to, in our devotion to the Lord, that's what was, is going to make people be interested in our faith. And I think that's why, actually, a lot of ways, this is why people are not interested in Christianity, because Christians' morals can be twisted, whether it's in the context of purity or, or, or with money or with legal uh, situations, that Christians are, can be corrupted. And because of that corruption, people do not take our God seriously. But if you are faithful in the small things and big things in your life, in the legal sense and whatever it may be, it, it, it's very different for the world. It's, it's actually very, it's, it leaves a positive impact that we actually care about order, that we care about how things work, because we care about the fruit, for which, you know, we, we care about, um, you know, the, the, how people treat each other, because we know that there are blessings, just basic blessings when people um, are faithful to the Lord. Um, we can be a positive impact on our, in, in our society 
when we actually do what God expects of us because that's how God designed the world. But when people choose to uh, be uh, perverted and, and to choose to twist God's word or ignore it altogether, the end result is misery. And we want to show them a different way. And that's what Israelites are supposed to do. That in their, in, as they live differently, that people will look and, and want to worship their God and turn away from their life so that they can live a life that is actually full of meaning and blessings that only comes if you know the one true God. Thanks for listening. It's a lot, uh, that's, I know there's a lot of information for this week, but uh, or this lesson, but you know, take time to think through how you can apply these principles in your own life. And um, this Friday we'll go over some of the laws in terms of land laws. So not like property in terms of things, this is laws in terms of the land, like what they're supposed to do with the land. Uh, it's going to be an interesting study, I trust. Uh, thanks for listening. Take care and have a good day.